What is this podcast even anymore? <laughs> what are we even doing? We're trying to get, we're giving, look, what, this is how I'm interpreting this. <sighs> Our listeners want us to do more formalist critique of good poems. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I am Nathan. And today we're going to review this craziness that was the Austin P game this past weekend. So, getting straight into it, um, one word to describe your experience the Austin P game. Nathan, go. Hot. Yup. Hot. That's what I heard. So hot. God, it was... It was... It was, I think, the second hottest game ever played in uh, Sanford Stadium, according to what I heard. That's apocryphal, so I don't know that that's true. <laughs> um, it was, it was damn hot. It was, um, it was hot enough that we had multiple kids just like passing out Jeez. and having to go into the stadium, and it, it was a mess. I mean, I, I, I would say our props crew and our nurses took amazing care of us, but yeah. It was it was it was rough. I mean, even if you're doing everything you can, and even if you were well, uh, very well hydrated, which I think most of our kids were, um, it was still rough. Jeez, that sounds awful. I was listening to the the waiting since last Saturday podcast right before this. Actually, I think Scott Duvall. I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I trust things that Scott Duvall says for the most part. He had to get out of there, and as he was leaving, or I think his dad was leaving, or somebody, like people were being pulled out in stretchers, and like it was just a constant stream of people yeah. leaving on stretchers. And I, was like, I mean, I think I think part of the problem is that those people were all drunk to begin with, you know. Yeah, that's um, true. But our our problem was that like our kids were sober, and it was just like standing out there in what should we call in wool uniforms was just yeah. That's, That's a lot, the thing. even for a very in shape individual who's prepared. Yeah, those of you that I, I feel like most of our listeners are probably redcoats at this point, but um, or yeah. some form of uh, marching band, redcoat, uh, redcoat, or former redcoat. Yeah, but those of you who aren't, um, those suits they keep you hot when it's hot, and they do not keep you cold warm, warm when it's cold, when it's cold. Nope. <laughs> at all. Um, they are the worst, and um, it's just part of it. I can only imagine being out there in that heat with no cloud cover whatsoever. Tell me, uh, just from from your point of view and your just your side of things, how was coming in? Did you guys come in from the West End or did you come in from the East End still? How did that all work out? Uh, well, we marched in from the West End after the dog walk and then we came in from the East End. Yeah, so we came in from the East End, but we went out the West End. I mean, the West End looks really nice. The profile and like the aesthetics of it are super nice. It's not, you know, um, it involves a little bit more walking because mm-hmm. if you enter from the East and you exit from the West, then you have to walk back down a hundred yards back to where we sit but having said all that i mean the stadium looks amazing uh i noticed the sound was really good like it wasn't like your classic sort of georgia horrible sound (laughs) i remember when we first installed the new speakers they were very loud but not very well balanced and these sound good um they sound very good actually i mean it it was just it was really fun i i think we have an excellent staff this year on redcoats which like nobody else really cares about but uh, the staff's awesome, and they're just really fun to be around, you know? And Good. so it was just really fun to be there. And that's all you really can't ask for, I imagine. Yeah. I feel like the, they sounded good. We moved the tubas around. We, we like, changed some stuff the way people are seated in the stands. And, of course, like, that's always... Anytime you move that many people and you're dealing with 400 people sitting down, it's kind of tough to move them a little bit. I thought they adjusted to it well, and it actually made them sound better. So, anyway... um, 
that was my experience. How was your experience at not the game at Dragon Con? <laughs> I did the exact opposite of football. I was at Dragon Con the whole time. No, it was absolutely incredible. I did want to share because this isn't a Dragon Con podcast, but I did want to share. I, I did go to a few podcast panels. It was awesome. I did go to the My Brother, My Brother and Me show up in Cobb. How was that? Oh, it was absolutely incredible. It, it's somebody asked me immediately after how it was and what I thought and you know what kind of jokes they told, and I was like, I can't really share because I'm still so overstimulated from from meeting these people and seeing these people yeah because um, it really is like that the one of the biggest reasons why i do anything podcast related is because of them and i got this really great letter i think you know i don't know if i've ever spoken about it mm-hmm. on the podcast but for christmas last year anna ended up sending messages to each of them on every social media platform and every email they've ever had about just kind of what was going on in my life and you know my doubts and this and that but not to get too deep but justin McElroy sent me a letter back and so it's been a big uh, reason of why I do what I do. And so that was really cool. Justin McElroy, a very famous podcaster who makes an excellent, excellent podcast. Multiple. Oh, fantastic podcasts. I've podcasts. listened to many of them today. One of my, my favorite pieces, this is more on brand than my brother, my brother and me for what we do is I went to a, a panel on the science track at Pod, um, Dragon Con called Does It Fart? And there was a whole panel of experts from different... Um, fields of science. There was an astrophysicist and an entomologist and a zoologist, and they were all trying to present empirical evidence to try and persuade you uh, of whether or not certain things farted. And it was inanimate objects. Well, hold on. Well, give me some examples of things that do fart. Things that do fart. Me, um, you. <laughs> That's easy. Yeah, those are easy. Yeah, those are easy. No, um, things that... So it kind of started out more like uh, the entomologist shared, like there's this bug that uh, shoots out this liquid that immediately turns gaseous. And they had to start out the entire panel by by saying, like, the definition of a fart is expelling gas from the opposite end of an intake. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how the whole thing started. And then based off of that definition, trying to decide what was a fart. And so that's kind of how it all went. But we ended up getting um, these two signs. One said fart and the other said not a fart. So after presenting their evidence, uh, we were able to, as an audience, decide whether or not what they presented was indeed a fart. And it was okay. the best was, part of my entire Dragon Con. What was, the, what was the most dubious one? There was my favorite and the one that I was probably more on, uh, I, was, I was way involved and in, like I was sold, was uh, it was Black Holes black mm-hmm. holes do they fart and so they had to explain like what a black hole was and how it takes in everything essentially and then there is another spinning disc apparently on the same plane as the black hole that then after i forget why it would happen but eventually it will expel gas and uh particles like dusts and different particulates and that sort of thing and so there were these pictures and artist renderings of what's called the jet coming from either end of the black hole and then the the disc um from the other end and so that's like weirdly <laughs> gross even though not you know what i mean oh yeah well the whole reason why that one was deemed to be a fart by the audience only because uh we decided that was a shart and the shart uh, is just a really nasty subgenre of farts and so i really passes. hope that we're gonna just cut like the last like basically since we started talking welcome to <laughs> chapel bell curve this is it's a, a fart based podcast. It's a non fart. Uh, it's a part. It's a podcast where no one any ever talks about farts, and no one cares about marching band. And we're very we're very open, and we're not a niche college football podcast. We don't uh, yuck yums. You know, we sometimes don't yuck I, yums. I do think about sometimes now that we've got uh, 
infinitely more listeners than we started with. I think our very first episode, we were really excited to get, I think, maybe like 20 or 30 people listening to it. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> that was all of our friends and family. That was all of our friends and family, and then me and you twice on all of our devices, no. Yeah. Um, but I, sometimes I listen back, or I, I remember that first episode, and I remember there was a bit about, um, we just didn't know what we were doing, and I think I farted during the recording. And right. as one does. As one does, and you could hear it in the recording, and we took it back, and we talked over it, and you got really upset, but... Um, sometimes I think about I that. I don't know I'm... if I would say <laughs> upset. I don't think you were upset. It was more like a play upset. Right. I think I was fake upset, but I'm not sure that I would say I was except. That was also right around when we decided we couldn't also drink and talk about stats. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how the waiting since last Saturday guys do it. Like they managed to like, there's always bourbon going on in the background and like, there sure is. We could do a live show with them and maybe talk about it. But even then I would have to modulate because my mouth gets out ahead of my head, even when I'm sober, and when I drink, it's even it's way worse. So I can't imagine what that would be like. Although you know, you want to know. Speaking of me talking about drinking, but I shouldn't. Um, actually, I'm an adult. It doesn't matter. I got followed. We got followed on our um, podcast Instagram account and Twitter account, and also like I presume Facebook account by one of my former students, oh. who is like still in high school. So. You know oh, who you boy. are. I'm not going to say your name because you're not, you're a minor, but <laughs> if you're listening to this, just come up to me and be like, yeah, and give me the high sign. And then that'll be the sign that I can think that you're cool. You know exactly. who you are. We talked about it already. You got um, it. Yeah. You just anyway. come up to me and just give me one of those like little nods. Hey, do you want to talk about stats? Yeah. Let's talk about stats. Oh, hold on. I do want, I want to correct one more record because okay. I know he listens to this. I just want to say something publicly at some point. During the run of this podcast, I once said that one of our band directors was stoic. Now, I want to be clear that I was definitely talking about Brett Bauckham, the assistant band director, who is a stoic man. It's not a bad thing. I'm a stoic man. I've been accused of being laconic. I am. And so is Brett. Now, Dr. Robinson, who is the head band director, thought I was talking about him. Dr. Robinson is in no way stoic. And I just want to say officially that Dr. Robinson is a very emotive man who... Has many good facial expressions. Um, <laughs> a number of very good them, ones. And uses them on a regular basis. And also, I just want to say that they, both Mike and Brett, are genuinely the two best bosses I've ever had, which is kind of sad considering that I don't actually work for them full time. Anyway. Um, is is that sad, the cold but... open? Do I need to put that in the front? Yeah, that's probably that's probably <laughs> the cold open. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Let's start. Let's talk about stats. So we're gonna we're gonna just to, in this episode we're just gonna review what happened um, in the Austin P game, which you know not a lot. Um, I can run through the stats real quick, but the stats tell you the story that you think they'll tell you. But if you like to, I can just give you the five factors box score. Um, so Austin P point zero drives twelve plays fifty one yards one hundred and forty two. Georgia points forty five drives twelve plays sixty one yards four ninety three. What stands out already is that we had the same number of drives and within the same number of plays, which, you know, obviously there's a huge marginal efficiency gap between the two teams Mm -hmm. and Georgia was very efficient. Um, Yards per play, Austin P 2.78, Georgia 8.08. Success rate overall, uh, Austin P uh, 30.40 success rate, which is under average, which is, if I recall correctly, around 35. 
And Georgia, 54.10, which is way above average. Yes. Scoring opportunities, two for zero points per trip inside the 40. Scoring opportunities for UGA, eight per for 5.63 points per trip inside the 40, which is very good. Um, average field position, starting field position, uh, 24.92 for Austin P, uh, 34.56 for Georgia. That, of course, Jake Kamarna had um, a pretty good game. I mean, oh, he yeah. kicked a touchback, but whatever. Uh, turnover margin, 0 and 0. Uh, expected turnover margin, negative 1.2 for Austin P, 1.2 for Georgia. Um, in that sense, Georgia was actually had negative turnover luck. You would expect Georgia to get about one more turnover per game than they did in this game. Um, yardage margin, negative 351 for Austin P. Scoring opportunity margin, negative 6 for Austin P. Points per, uh, points per trip opportunity margin, negative uh, 5.63 for Austin P. And field position margin, negative 9.58. So I would say that there were some eyesight things that definitely did not look as good as the 45 nothing um, score indicates. But I would say that most of the stats kind of back that score up. Really what I was trying to get to that is not try to like talk down our win by any means. I was trying more to say like we, we did a lot of average stuff in terms of like our playbook and the the players we had out there were mixing a lot of things up which we'll talk about when right. we go yeah, into I our mean, takeaways it, it of is, course it is hard to say how indicative this performance is yeah this team going forward both in a good and bad sense because you know there are just a lot of caveats you have to throw out with a game like this it's very difficult to say like well you know these plays tell us that this is going to happen i would say more of my takeaways are more individual based and then also what rotations are it's hard for me to say much about this team right now uh, just, you know, from a personality perspective, but also just from a, I mean, I think I know what we're good at and I think I know what we might be bad at, but it's hard for me to say, like, I, I have a couple of ideas of where I would attack us, but I'm not a hundred percent sure where, where they're going to, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of tough, but of course I haven't watched everything. Yeah. All yeah. the, uh, I haven't watched all the stuff. Yeah. I've really only watched the highlights. So I mean, yeah, I watched all that. <laughs> Uh, let's get into the takeaways. So give me some of your, your takeaways from this big game. Let's see from this big game. This big old uh, game. Okay. So I had some, I spent a long time in the third and fourth quarter. I, I made myself a half sheet laminated depth chart and I spent a lot of time looking numbers and just seeing who was in and who was out. Uh, Jamari Sawyer, looks like he might be the second team right guard. We pretty much went with Jamari Sawyer and Cade Mays all the way through second mm-hmm. team right guard. We also had Cade Mays and Trey Hill at some points as like quote unquote tight ends, which was really fun. Yeah, that was um, weird and good. Jamari Sawyer and Cade Mays look very good. Trey Hill had some starts at center and at left guard or snaps, and he looked okay, good to Midland. Um, there was a fumble. There was a very bad snap from him at one point as the uh, as the center. My, I would say my overall thing is just like if you look at the size and sort of bend and flex and just like athleticism of our third team offensive line it's absolutely scary and so you know that just it bodes well going forward because i think our offensive line is definitely a place where you know you're going to have attrition that's just how it is and i really think that that is a place where we can afford to have attrition which is good because it's pretty much going to happen i think rich richard lecount i think i actually saw a couple of really good things in the secondary i thought that tyson campbell looked like there were some times where he was a little confused about what he was doing but then also he's just so long dude he's so fast he's so long the pass breakup he had, he didn't really misplay. He was right there, but he didn't look like he totally knew what the technique was. And he just kind of put his hand in front of the ball because he's that long. Like just was standing behind the guy, went from behind the guy, not touching them to having his hand in front of it to knock the ball out in like the, sp- the span of like 0.5 seconds. 
Um, it wasn't necessarily like the best like technique, but you know, I think that we're going to see him give up some plays, but I also think we're going to see him make some amazing plays because he's just, I mean, he is a, he looks every bit the five-star cornerback. And the fact that he's starting over some guys with experience, Mark Webb and Eric Stokes, who also look decent, um, is pretty telling because he is going to bust some plays that because he's a freshman and then end up making a good play after the bust because he's so fast and big. So that's exciting. Richard LeCount is just a freak of nature. I'm going to talk more about him because I know we have a question about who are our current faves on the team. He's He looks like he could be a very good player. I thought that, um, you know, this wide receiver core, I know you have, you have a note from that. Um, this wide receiver core is next level fast. And Demetrius Robertson, holy crap, he is fast. That I means mean, so just fast. so much speed. I, and in person. There's a lot of in-person speed on this team. It's It's hard to explain. Just like, Watching it from field level, it's just the the difference in speed. Obviously, Austin P is not a Division One team, and there's some plays at South Carolina that aren't going to get made. They got made in the Austin P game, but just watching their speed on the field is just it's remarkable. The D line kind of were the dogs of the day, just because there were just some kind of low effort plays. Yeah, um, there were plays where like, you know, you engage your man, you shed him. You're standing in the ta- in the box. You're in the hole that you're supposed to be in, and you just don't finish the play. And I don't think that was because you're not capable of finishing the play. I just think it was because, you know, we didn't necessarily get 100% effort from our D-line, which is like, you know, that's super annoying, but it is also like, that's just part of it. Yeah, um, I kind of attributed it to just how much movement was going on in the, uh, the O-line and the D-line. Just so many different players in so many different positions all day. You know, this is always going to be part of it. I mean, you have to find something to criticize in a game like this. Oh, for sure. That's just the thing that is easy to criticize. You know, and it's fine. I'm definitely not. I'm not upset about it in any way. I just. uh, Just if you got to pick something, that's what you would pick. Yeah. If I. Yes. If I was going to pick this, that's what I would pick. Even though really, I think it's more of an effort thing. And I'm not really sure that it's time to like freak out about the defensive line or the offensive line who honestly had some trouble at the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just is what it is. And I think that Austin P was well coached enough that they knew that we weren't going to be putting, we were going to run up the middle a lot and they just put eight guys in the box. And even if you have bad, you know, even if you're playing against a, a, a team of lesser talent, if they knew you're going to run on every play, it's just hard to move the ball. That's about all I got. What did you see? What 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 did your eyes tell you? What did my eyes see? My elf eyes. Um, you know, last episode I your talked about eyes. Kendall. Ba- Do what? <laughs> your special eyes. My special elf eyes. Anna also got elf ears this past weekend. I just need everyone I to saw know them. that she They're bought amazing. elf ears. They're, They're very cute. They are. She's wanted to be an elf since she was like six years old. Anyway, she finally she's living that fantasy. I, she I appreciate did. it. She let it fly. Her elf flag. Um, we don't yeah. yuck any yums. That's rule number one on this podcast and in the Sousa section. No yums yucked. No yums yucked. <laughs> Not a single yum. Yes. So anyway, last episode I talked about Kendall Baker and one of the things I wanted to see out of the team was where he would end up just because we've, we have so many different, uh, we had so much turnover in season to season and we had a lot of fresh talent on the team. So depending on where a player with that much experience landed felt like it would tell me a lot about what this season was going to look like in terms of talent. And what I saw was that Kendall Baker's not playing with the ones at all. I think he was maybe yeah. in one or two snaps. Um, and I don't yeah, he, know if he that's... He was rotating around at left tackle. Yeah, yeah. But he just didn't really play with the ones at all. I know Justin Fields played with the ones for most of the mm-hmm. day. And I think this just came down to 
the fact that you know Kirby just wants to get him in the game more and more, um, get him accustomed to you know the the crowd size and all the things going on, and it's not just about it's not like practice anymore. You know, this is real live game time, and so I think it was kind of like that. But uh, I could guess you know either way that Kendall Baker not being with the ones was because one he doesn't need to be maybe, and this is a great game for all these younger players to be in and uh, experimenting with all those different positions, or it could tell us that all these younger players are absolutely crushing it and they're getting what they deserve. Uh, but we will not know until this next weekend, of course. So, yeah, I mean, and I think part of the Kendall Baker thing is just the, I mean, there's a pretty established history at this point with Sam Pittman and having like a super six guy, a yeah. guy who is your guy who can play at any position when someone gets hurt and also mm-hmm. spell people. So I think he's still going to see a lot of time. I'm not sure that he'll see a lot of time, you know, starting the game or just before before the second or third drive. Yeah, and that's fine. I just wanted to kind of see where that would put us. Uh, I did have another note, just like you said, that our receiving core was super deep and super fast. Uh, and we'll get into that in our over-unders because there were a couple things that we talked about pertaining to that. I also wrote down that Justin Fields, uh, if I had to guess just from this game, if this is the only game we played all season, he is not a package guy. He is not a one-trick pony. He is to be one day the guy um so to speak just because yeah he came out there and he played football and he didn't there weren't there you know you'll you'll notice that our playbook was pretty standard which is something that we talked about a lot last year because you know you don't want to show all your cards before the big game so to speak and this is not a game where you you whip everything out and you're not going to see wildcats or wild dogs you're not going to see a lot of play from you know all the big plays from all the big players and it's just going to be a pretty standard. But he still looks good. And, and, and I would great. say I, yeah. I, I have some, not quibbles with him, but I have some things that I want him to do better with. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, you know, for a freshman, uh, simultaneously, you can see why Jake Fromm has the starting spot. Yeah. And then you also can see why people say that, you know, they, watch his face has a, or Justin Fields has a le- legit chance to catch up with him. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, they, they're different players. Um, and they do different things better than each other. So we'll see just kind of what happens and, and how they end up splitting time. Because I'm sure they will split time to an extent. And that leads to another thing, talking about the vanilla playbook and the, the really average playbook. Vanilla playbook, playbook was something I was trying not to say because I feel like every single person that has written about this game or spoken about it has called it the vanilla playbook or a vanilla game. And I was trying not to. But it is. That. I mean, that it is. is that. It's that exactly is what, what it is. is. And there's a reason they played. I mean, we were running a lot of like power left and... You know, we were running like two over and just like very basic, like uh, crossing routes, like mm-hmm. double slants, like all that crap. Not even, it's not crap. It's like the core of our offense. But they, yeah. the problem is in the way, you know, most, a lot of offensive lines were, or a lot of uh, offensive playbooks, most of them work is that you have the core of your offense, and you have everything that, and you have everything that runs off of that core. And we showed them the core, but we didn't really show them anything like that, any wrinkles that we're going to try to put in. You know, just exactly what you just said is, is that, you know, because of that, South Carolina doesn't have anything to view on tape. They're not going to be able to see. They, they don't know what they're getting themselves into, essentially. They can guess a lot. And there's probably some pieces that we could pick apart if we wanted to pick some bad spots. Like, they'll probably take advantage of the, the middle of the D-line, how it's a little bit weaker. It's got younger players. Our linebackers, we don't really know what's going on with the linebackers still. They, it was interesting to see Yeah, I think, I think they're going to score some points. I think this is going to be a relatively high-scoring game. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to see how... The line, uh, the inside linebackers ended up lining up, and how they they paired them off. It was just like like skilled individuals playing with like skilled individuals, which I found interesting. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, what I meant by that is that we had both of our more pass rusher, like run stuffer, 
inside linebackers together and then our you know play the sidelines inside linebackers were together as well so yeah yeah we we saw um yeah like what you're referring to i think is that monty rice and jawan are sorry monty rice and jawan taylor her more of your like left to right runners i'm mm-hmm. sorry i got this backwards let me try this again yeah jawan taylor and um tay crowder, crowder were playing together and um, Natres Patrick and Monty Rice were playing together, which is interesting because those are not like complementary pairs. No. Uh, Tay Crowder and Jawan Taylor, you're more like run left to right, but get easily caught up in trash and do an inside run, but are fast guys. And then uh, Monty Rice and Natres Patrick are more of your like stereotypical stumpy, like, you know, getting there in the center of the defense and stop the run kind of players. So not a lot of... I wasn't overly pressed, impressed with the linebackers as a whole, but I, I did feel like, I don't know, it's just this is a really, really, really big, really fast team. Yeah. And to me, even in the times that it looked like the run fits weren't really good or it looked like the defensive line was kind of slacking, they were just so effing fast. And that effort has to be there going forward for us to beat uh, South Carolina. But if it is there, I'm kind of going to reserve judgment because... I just don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how good this team can be yet, especially on defense. I think this team can be very good on offense, but I'm not sure how good they can be on defense. I think we just have too much speed and too much talent on offense that we're going to score a lot of points on a lot of people. Let's get into something that we always wanted to do last year, but never actually ended up following up with. Is uh, Was uh, checking our... Checking our over-unders. <laughs> yeah. We always talked about wanting to do it, but we never recorded our actual uh, details as we did it but this time we did so yeah. going back to our over-unders you threw out a few you had an over-under 25 jake Fromm passes were thrown uh you said over i said under jake Fromm ended up throwing 16, 16. passes and 12 completions i mean i think we just we got up really fast and i think they played jake Fromm even more than i think th- I, or they played justin fields even more than i thought they would yeah yeah he played what middle of the second quarter mm-hmm. yeah very exciting stuff uh, you had another over-under that was eight different wide receivers targeted. You said over. I said under. There were 11 wide receivers targeted Dude, with this at is least like, one catch. This is maybe my favorite one because like, I feel like I had this nailed and I had the score nailed because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the band directors, Brett, asked me how, how much he thought, how much did I think we were going to score because um, there's this really intricate thing that we have to do about uh, planning when we're going to play. And mm-hmm. in what timeouts and how many of those timeouts are going to be because of scores and all this. And I was like, I think we'll score either f- between 45 and 52. And it was just like, boom. And I was like, and I think it's going to take a long time because they're going to throw the ball a lot because they don't know who they're going to take to South Carolina and the wide receiving core. Boom. And it was just like, that, that was one I'm very proud of. The next one was over under one rushing touchdown from Justin Fields. He had none. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I no don't think they wanted him to run. No, though I will say there was one, his probably, how many yards did he end up actually rushing for? It was something, it wasn't a ton, but um, the only reason I wanted to, to bring that up is that he did have that really great scramble and he ended up um, getting away for like 17 yards long. Yeah, it looked good. It looked really good. Yeah. he And he cleaned up and he, he made it happen. He made the play. So that was pretty fantastic. Uh, you said over, I said push. So neither of us got that right. Yeah, no. We had another over under one of mine. My first one was Justin Fields would play more than 15 snaps. Uh, we both said over, and that's absolutely true because we saw him as early as the second quarter. Over under six plus Havoc plays, we both said over, we said nine. We were thinking that this team would be a lot more aggressive than they ended up being this time around. There were two half tackles for loss and then one full tackle for loss. That only adds up to two. I think it was a third tackle for loss somewhere in there, but there were no sacks. There wasn't a whole lot of pressure on the quarterbacks, which 
I think was fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, and they ended up going way more for um, they they ended up doing like way more of the option stuff than I than we thought we would. I think, mm-hmm. which is good. I mean, we thought that that was kind of I don't know. And then three field goals over under. We both said under, which is correct. There was only one field goal, but Rodriguez did still went for nine what, points. nine points. Yeah, yeah, of course he did. And that's kind of our over under situation. The last bit was our actual prediction of the score: forty five three was for you, and I guessed fifty two six. Boom, um, boom, yeah. Boom, so that's boom. pretty solid. Three, five, three. That's pretty solid. But we covered the forty, which is yeah, all that we, we really wanted. Our last little bit and piece. We had some ask CBCs. So we had a few questions come in through our hashtag AskCBC. Just make sure that if you are listening and you would like to ask us a question that you tag it with hashtag AskCBC and you will be on the air. So the very first question came in from Hannah Schaefer and she asked, how do you think the tight end usage situation will change if at all? So Nathan, you want to take this one? Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to get more targets. We saw three target, three catches by tight ends, one by Isaac Nata, one by Charlie Warner, one by Luke Ford in this game. Um, I think they're going to be used much the same way in terms of like schematically, but I do think that, you know, we're going to see them at H-back, we're going to see them lined up tight, we're going to see them blocking. But I also just think that a lot of our intermediate stuff last year was either was either throws to the running backs or just longer runs, mid-level runs. And I don't think we're going to be able to, I, I just don't think that we have the, the running back depth to do that. Even though our running backs are amazing and James Cook seems to be a star in the making when catching the ball to the backfield. I just, I'm not, you know, fully, I don't think that our running backs are obviously going to be at the, you know, Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb level right now. And so I think we're going to just naturally going to try to press the seams a little bit more to get more people out of the box using the tight ends. And I think that we already saw sort of a little bit of that with three targets on Saturday. Our next question comes in from a Trey, just Trey, uh, T-R-E-Y. He said... <laughs> Nathan, he wants to know why you hate Jacksonville State so much. And then he added a real question. Do you think Jake Fromm will be in the Heisman race? I'm not going to say because I don't want to start stupid drama. Stupid drama. Stupid. I think Jacksonville State is a fine institution of higher learning with a with many excellent programs. And if you find me in person, you can ask me and I'll give you the real answer. Do I think Jake Fromm will be in the Heisman race? Probably not. We answered this last episode too. I I think we kind of have too many weapons, if that makes sense. I think that if we, even if we do really, really, really well, it's going to be very easy for us to, I don't know. I I just think it'll be really easy for, really easy for the blame and the credit to go to other places because there's, we have so much, I don't know, we're going to have so many um, weapons. You know what I mean? Yeah, we like like to score a lot of points. It's going to be really easy to give the credit to Demetrius Robertson or, James Cook or DeAndre Swift or whatever, mm-hmm. Terry Godwin. Oh, this is one that I'm excited. I'm going to set you up for this one because you have this whole this whole big thing about it that you did research on. So Price Ford from Washington State. Was this on Twitter? This is on Twitter. So it, it was a little weird. I didn't realize it was a question for us. I thought it was one of the a, a miss hashtag because yeah. it is a, is a dealership, Price Ford, out in Washington State that asked this really? question and it was a it was worded odd and it was a name i didn't recognize at first and so i i had to start doing some research to make sure it was really a question for us and not for the canadian broadcasting oh, see, company i see that yeah. yeah so it threw me off too and i almost didn't catch it number one dealership on the olympic peninsula well hey good for you <laughs> port angeles price ford if we got any more west coast listeners make sure you buy all yeah. your ford trucks from if price you're in ford. the olympia area the olympia peninsula area price ford for your fine you know why he does you know why he uh you know why he he asked us is that obviously georgia has built ford tough obviously and he wanted that free advertising money yeah 
Anyway, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what does Price Ford ask? <laughs> we owe it all to Rosalind, Rosalind Burns Gammon. Explain to us why. Okay. So I thought this was really fun, and I'm a big history nerd, so this really got me. So Rosalind Burns Gammon is the mother of a player, Richard Vonalblade Gammon, who is a quarterback on the 1896 UGA team, which he the only reason that's even important at all is because he played for the, the fabled um, Pop Warner. So that's important only because of that. But in 1897, Richard Gammon played for the UGA team. He was a fullback, and he also played some on defense. And back then... You know, you could play any number of positions uh, on any given day, and there were a lot less players on the team at any given point in time. But the reason why uh, these two people are so important is because there was a game in 1897 where UGA was playing Virginia in Atlanta, and Richard got a really bad hit, really nasty hit, and he didn't get back up after the tackle. And so I I thought this was really funny. There was like firsthand accounts not funny that he got hurt, but what happened following that was that there were doctors, of course, watching the game because they were playing right down the road from Grady Memorial. Uh-huh. And uh, so the doctors came down from the stands to come and check on him because there weren't doctors, you know, at the game actually uh, on duty sort of thing. But they concluded that he suffered a really bad concussion. And um, after being unconscious for a few minutes, he got back up and the, the coach said, uh, you're not going to give up, are you? And he uh, he looked back at the coach. He said, no, I, I've got too much georgia grit for that so which is like awesome but also come on man yeah no one no one to fold them no one to show them what are the yeah because (laughs) because did he ever speak another word after those words those are his last words ever spoken actually yes yes he's got too much georgia grit for that so uh early morning uh hours later richard uh died and so following that the aftermath of all that was that the georgia house of representatives voted to ban football from all georgia colleges and the vote passed 91 to 3 and then congress ended up agreeing with them as well and pushing it up to uh governor william yates atkinson and so he was ready to write it into law all it would have taken was uh he would have to sign the bill and it would be written into law but having heard everything that was going on um which was, you know, uh, that came from uh, her son's death, Rosalind Burns Gammon ended up writing a letter to the governor uh, pleading not to let football be banned because it was on the verge of being banned. She said that, you know, my son would have never wanted to be the reason why football was banned in Georgia. Um, All of this came after Mercer and Georgia Tech had already disbanded their teams as well. At At the time, there were only these three teams. Georgia had a team, Mercer had a team, and Tech had a team. And Tech and Mercer had already gone the way of the dodo. And uh, so Georgia was the last one to go at the time. But because she wrote this letter, she sent it to the governor. She ended up saying things like, um, you know, he had two other friends that died in a rock climbing and a skating accident. And those sports weren't banned. So don't let, you know, my son's death be the reason why this sport is banned. He loved it too much, et cetera, et cetera. And so after reading this letter, Governor Atkinson said, all right, we'll let it be. And so she was lauded as uh, she was renowned as the woman that saved college football, essentially, because without Georgia football, it would be a lot different. The landscape would look a lot different than it does today, of course. And I imagine that probably would have led to a lot of different uh, rules and maybe potential bannings or some schools not even chartering a team from there on out. So we can also get into another time. Like I, I find it really interesting, all the, the stories of like World War One and World War Two and all the teams that actually ended up sticking around and those that are disbanded because there are a number of years in both world wars where a number of teams did not have um that did, couldn't field a team during those years so pretty are you, interesting hey, stuff. are you ready i actually have something to add to this okay i ask also very much like history and 
One of the figures that I love the most in history is Teddy Roosevelt, even though we have very different politics. In some ways, I love him. When my when I was like, I think 15 or 14, my dad told me, or 13, I think, my dad told me that he would give me a dollar or something if I memorized the, um, the man in the arena quote from Te- uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And then he gave me the, like, there's a very famous two-part biography of Teddy Roosevelt called T-Rex is the first one. And he gave me those two and I read them. But anyway, uh, interestingly enough, so that was in 1897, and that started like sort of a, I don't know, like a surge of anti-football sentiment. Mm -hmm. And in 1905, Teddy Roosevelt, in the last year of his presidency, uh, there were 18 players who died in 159 who suffered severe injuries. And during that season, one Princeton alumni tallied, among other wounds, four concussions, three kicks in the head, seven broken collarbones, three grave spinal injuries, five serious internal injuries, and three broken arms, four dislocated shoulders, four broken noses, three broken shoulder blades, three broken jaws, two eyes gouged out, one player bitten, and one knocked unconscious three times in the same game, one breastbone fractured, one ruptured intestine, and one player, quote-unquote, dazed. Jeez. So, on October 9th, Roosevelt, in response to that, convened a football summit at the White House, uh, he had Secretary of State there. He had the coaches from Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. And he said, and this is a direct quote, football is on trial because I believe in this game. I want to do all I can to save it. And so I will call you all down here to see whether you won't all agree to abide by both the letter and spirit of the rules for that will help. And so basically that led directly to the creation of the, Inter, uh, the Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which was later to be renamed the NCAA. And so for all of the negative things that the NCAA has done, or one of the good things that it's done is standardize the rule of football and required what little safety protections there are to be in, involved. Um, that was because at the time, football was a game that had a lot of sort of like unwritten rules, kind of the way baseball does now, except they most of them involved violence, and it was much closer to rugby than football as we know it today. And so you can see all of that sort of like the saving and the modernizing of football. Um, there's a direct line from uh, Rose Gammond and the uh, and her son. Um, what's his name? Uh, Richard. Richard, Richard Von Gammond to Teddy Roosevelt sort of modernizing football. In fact, there are political cartoons where uh, like Teddy Roosevelt is like putting like he's sitting on a big coal basket uh, covering up all the things that he doesn't like, like the coal strike and paying more attention to brutality in football. And uh, Richard Von Hammond's dead body is there and stuff. That's very interesting. This is really interesting. Uh, that was way too much time on that question. So thank you, Price <laughs> Ford. Also, I thought that there was a Price Ford in Georgia, and I think there is, but I I'm guess sure there is. it's a different one. Yeah. Hey, I got another question for you. Yeah. There's one from James Bearfield. He asked, uh, Nathan, why'd you lie? Promise to try and talk slower on the podcast. <laughs> well, James, it's because I, I'm a father figure, and all father figures disappoint their son figures. <laughs> um, no, it's I, I'm just really bad at it, honestly. It's I, a work I, I in wish, progress. I, I, wish I, could talk, I wish I could talk slower. But I get so excited. God, I'm so excited. Anyway. Uh, he also wanted to know if you could choose a poem to equate to this game this past Saturday, um, what would it be and why? Um, it would be Mary Oliver's The Sun, the text of which that I have up here and I'm going to read now. <laughs> <clears throat> this is The Sun by Mary Oliver. Have you ever seen anything in your life more wonderful than the way the sun, every evening relaxed and easy, floats down the horizon and into the clouds or the hills or the rumpled sea and is gone? and how it slides again out of blackness every morning on the other side of the world, like a red flower, streaming upward on its heavenly oils, say on a morning in early summer, at its perfect imperial distance. And have you ever felt for anything such wild love, 
Do you think there's anywhere in any language a word billowing enough for the pleasure that fills you as the sun reaches out, as it warms you, as you stand there empty-handed? Or have you two turned from this world? Or have you two gone crazy for power, for things? Thank you. What is this podcast even anymore? (laughs) (laughs) What are we even doing? (laughs) We're trying to get, we're giving, look, what this is how i'm interpreting this <sighs> our listeners want us to do more formalist critique of good poems that's exactly so that's what, what we're going to give them thanks james <laughs> hold on i think he had a he had a real question too did he hold on yeah i just didn't copy it over correctly let's see um james's third question you can see how confident fields is in it fields is in his ability to run by how long he waits in the pocket do you see this as being a bad thing i do and i don't i also just think that's part of fields being a freshman he just needs to make better choices um and quicker choices and you know i think that's going to only come back to bite him when there's a defense there that's fast enough to catch him and i think that he'll have a lot less leeway to do those kind of slow developing passes in this game than he might in a game um like south carolina i think you know they were giving him they said there was no package for fields and i believe it because i think they were trying to see what he could do but i also think that like in a in a south carolina game in an lsu game in a missouri game there's going to be a package for fields of stuff that he's more comfortable with because it was clear that he just held the ball ball too long uh i did mean to actually add before we we pulled off the roslin um gammon thing there is we have a really cool museum the special special collections library on campus and yeah. if you have the time that place is open like all of the time and you should definitely stop in and check it out because there's a lot of firsthand accounts of the woman who saved college football there is a book made of human flesh i think is still there is that uh, a yeah thing? but that's not even, yeah it is but dude there's there's there's, there's so many, so many more, more cool things. There's way cooler stuff in there. Than there's just there's that. way cooler things like the original notes for a draft of Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. um, Audubon's original drawings for his Southeastern Book of Birds. So you can see like the first scientific drawing of like the brown thash the brown thrasher, which is um, Georgia State Bird, or like you know the South the Southeastern Cardinal, or all sorts of crazy birds. There's like some Herschel jerseys and stuff like that too, but yeah, there was a whole big Redcoats exhibit. <laughs> the Redcoats is, exhibit isn't all there, but there's currently like a Georgia exhibit. There usually is one in the fall, and I can't remember mm-hmm. what this one's called, but there is one right now, like a football exhibit. Oh, hey, I wanted to say too that I have to like officially uh, issue a retraction Uh-oh. because I said something incorrect, and Hannah Schaefer, who asked us a very good question corrected me on it and i want to officially say that will healy did not go to georgia tech he went to richmond where he won a national championship actually and he he but although he did basically grow up around georgia tech's staff because his uh he had several family members on staff there so i was sort of right i thought he did too i thought he went to georgia tech thanks hannah Oh, hey, also, I want to, um, yeah, so someone someone I want to give a shout out to is Abby Vincent Key, stage manager for life um, on Twitter, who recently posted a her like Facebook memory of the first time she talked about Chapel Bell Curve, <laughs> which I want to point out, she did on the first episode. She, yeah, she's been, I, I want to say that she's probably one of the biggest fans, if not the biggest fan that Chapel Bell and Curve also, has. And also like the most consistent rock hard, like, like she is our rock she is our rock of gibraltar she is our guiding north star she is the person who will just absolutely listen to this podcast every single time no matter how bad it is and i know she's <laughs> listening to this right now so abby we love you platonically and we hope you're having a great day thank you for being an amazing fan and our very last question of the episode comes in from um fan favorite ryan clark which is i think it's just how many hot dogs can you fit in your mouth 
So I've been thinking about this. Oh, so, I'm sorry. How many hot dogs can you fit in your mouth at one time? Proceed. Right. So, so, so the question is like blended, you know, it's more, right? Obviously. It also depends, like, am I sticking them in my mouth like a bunch of cigars in a cat's mouth, like in a Tom and Jerry cartoon? Or am I sticking them (laughs) in my mouth like crossways? Because I think, I honestly think I could get, like, like a good eight hot dogs in my mouth. And if you let me chew them, if that counted, like, chewed up hot dog, I think maybe more. I got a big old mouth. I'm uncomfortable. Oh, while we're on the subject of shout-outs, I do want to shout-out to West Coast Mark, because we don't shout-out to him enough. Uh before <laughs> he cracked me up because he he actually messaged me before he messaged both of us and he just wanted to to do some crap talking there for a second like trash talking yeah um, yeah you know all all the greatest hits he trash talked ryan clark he trash talked um uh nathan hollywood um lawrence nathan big time lawrence like all of your different names that he could possibly give you he gave them to you and then he i think he may have felt bad because then he brought the trash talk to a group chat for all three of us so I think you're you're doing just fine, but thanks for being you, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing, Mark. There were like 80,000 people in that stadium. Yeah, I didn't even hear you say my name because I have a, I have a, I had a head I had a headset on and earplugs in. Come on, man. You know I love you. Come on. You're killing me. You know how it is. I guess that's it. <laughs> that's the show. So, uh Yeah. This has been to... Chapel Bell Curve, I guess. Here's the does it fart? Chapel <laughs> Bell Curve. Yes. <laughs> it does fart. This one farts. But uh, yeah, if you guys, this has been a review episode. I don't, I would not say this is a typical review episode just because it wasn't as stats heavy as it could have been because, you know, the stats. You know, we went over some stats. Come on. We went over some stats. You got to give us credit for We that. did talk about some numbers. It wasn't so bad. But um, yeah, if you guys want to hear more of your own questions, you're always welcome to hashtag AskCBC. We will put your questions on the air. If you have any questions you want to ask us and you don't have Twitter, you're welcome to email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. You could literally just search our name and you will find us. Later this week, you'll be hearing this episode probably on Wednesday, most of you, if you're staying up to date, just because, uh, yeah. you know, we had a Labor Day. We took a day off. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. So we think Wednesday, and then when are we going to get the previous, like Wednesday and then Thursday, probably? Yeah, probably Thursday or Friday. Hopefully Thursday is what we're shooting for, just so you guys can all yeah, have uh, enough time so to, to listen to work as many on times as you want. He's going to work on this in his podcast, like, sweatshop, and then we're going <laughs> to put that out tomorrow morning early. And uh-huh. then we're going to record that tomorrow night, another one, and we're going to put that up Thursday morning early. And I have already, I'm going to chain him to his desk. Yep, that's exactly how it works. I'll be here until I'm not, I <laughs> guess. Well said. But yeah, so uh, you can catch us in the Classic City until we head out to Columbia, I guess, huh? Yeah, I'll be there, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll catch you in Columbia, but um, until then, go, go dogs. dogs.